you know, it's funny when the when the, my first week on the job as the executive director, I said, "Hey, Father Bill, do I even have a job description?" <laughs> and he said, "Your job description is is to close Father Bill's place." John Yaswinski has had one job for 23 years, directing Father Bill's in Mainspring, a homeless shelter network and nonprofit on the South Shore of Massachusetts. How is he ending homelessness in the Commonwealth? I'm Kristen Livingston with Bentley University, and this is How I Made It. I grew up uh, in Yarmouth, Maine, uh, right outside of Portland, and um, I went through my church group. My mother and I went in and volunteered at a lunch program for homeless people, and that night I was it, I had to help a veteran that was sleeping under a bridge to help him eat dinner that night when he wasn't mm. able to. And I just was just very, um, yeah, impacted greatly by the idea that with all the resources we have in this uh, country, of why is there a, a veteran that's helped fought for our freedom? Why, why is he experiencing homelessness? And it always stayed with me. So when I went to Bentley and had an opportunity to choose a certain social issue, um, I, 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 cho- I chose homelessness. At Bentley, John joins Service Learning, newly founded, and now the Service Learning and Civic Engagement Center. Back in the day before cell phones, we were able to get um, a phone company to donate voicemail boxes to homeless people. Oh, wow. So part of my job was to go out and get the different shelters on board. So and when I got to see um, how people now had their own phone number and they were struggling with homelessness and by just giving somebody their own phone number they were able to when they were going to get a job or they were looking for housing or even they want to communicate with their family just how a simple step like being able to communicate with people got people out of homelessness john started volunteering for father bill's place in quincy and after graduating from bentley in 1996 he joined full-time in the 80s reverend william mccarthy affectionately known as father bill started getting requests from his parishioners. They needed more than confession or a meal. They needed a place to sleep, to spend the night. Of course, Father opened his church to them, hoping it would be a temporary fix. But decades later, the Band-Aid still hasn't come off, though John is working on it, because Father Bill believed in him, even when he applied to become the executive director of the shelter just two years after starting in the organization. And of course, I didn't get the job at the time. <laughs> but about a year later, um, there was a change again, and Father Bill and other people in the community, you know, Father Bill was basically like, let's give this guy a chance, and I'll mentor him. And so uh, I got to work side by side with Father Bill um, and uh, just saw how every day he was he wanted to take care of everybody, um, and there was no challenge that, um, that was too big for him to take on. And I was very impressed with his uh, cur- courage overall in uh in his spirit never to judge anybody when they walk in the door mm-hmm. you know it's funny when the when uh, my first week on the job as the executive director i said hey father bill do i even have a job description <laughs> and he said your job description is is to close father bill's place you know and he goes someday i hope people drive by it and it's it's not there um, you know that means we've ended homelessness that would stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. What are the numbers that we're up against in this country for homelessness? Yeah, I mean, on any given night, there's, um, you know, there's going to be over a half a million people that mm-hmm. are homeless. Um, you know, I think what 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 we've seen is is you know in the late '70s and early '80s there weren't that many homeless shelters in this country, um, but wherever you were living, you you um, may have known there 
there were a lot of mental health hospitals. Right. About 90% of those beds were closed. And we never, mm -hmm. at a national level, on a policy level, we never said, okay, if, if a group of these disabled people are going to go back into the community, what are the supports they're going to need? And, and then, so if you look at when Father Bills was created and majority of the shelters across the country, it really came from the faith community. And we all kind of started within the same like 10 to 15 year period. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So prior to the 70s and 80s, you're just out on the street. There really wasn't anywhere for you to go. Well, you just didn't have, I mean, we've always had poverty and mm -hmm. and in different places. And you might have had a few shelters. But like in Massachusetts in 1982, there was only two state-funded shelters. So people like Father Bill McCarthy, who I fell in love with, um, his mission in Quincy, you know, in the early 80s, they started to see people um, that used to be in public housing or used to be um, in affordable housing um, or sometimes in these institutions falling through the cracks and ending up sleeping outside. It was just, it was a new phenomenon. We just haven't been able to um, make sure that all income levels um, have, have appropriate housing. I wonder too if it had anything to do with the surge of Vietnam veterans, drugs, the accessibility of drugs, and then PTSD and all of these things combined well it is amazing when i first came to father bills in um right, right out of college well 20 percent were veterans mm. um, under the last administration under the obama administration um, there was uh, tremendous resources committed to the va to uh, end veterans homelessness and we reduced it over those eight years by 50 percent in this country so we can end homelessness we just have to have the political will Over the years, John has grown Father Bills to become Father Bills and Mainspring. We have about 23 um, different facilities. We shelter about 250 individuals across Southern Mass. We also shelter about 130 families, and we have 500 units of permanent supportive housing. So that's been my passion, has been housing. So um, we're not trying to just manage homelessness, we're trying to end it, and, and that's a variety of ways. But one of the things we've done is we've become a housing developer. Um, supportive housing. Uh, it's very affordable. We really target the people that are the zero to 30% median income, our poorest neighbors. You know, w we um, looked at the family shelter system years ago and said to the state, listen, everybody that's coming to the front door is getting shelter. It's like everybody going to the emergency room and getting a Band-Aid. Why don't we look at, instead of everybody going into an expensive system like shelter, why don't we see if we can do prevention and diversion upstream a little bit for mm -hmm. these families? And we were able to pilot that, and now that's being done in every location across the state. So it's all about housing. That's the number one driver here. Yes, we will have people that struggle maybe with a physical disability, uh, fixed incomes, um, you know, young adults aging out of foster care, substance abuse, mental health issues. But one of the things we've been able to show at Father Bills in Mainspring and many places across the country have been able to show that it's more cost effective to house somebody that's ricocheting in and out of systems of care, like police cars, corrections, emergency rooms, detoxes. Um, those price tags are adding up for the taxpayer. So I, we've always taken it where it's part of what I've been able to do is take a business approach to the homeless issue here and say, mm -hmm. what's it costing us, the community, um, the state, the town, to shelter somebody 
and have them in and out of all of these systems. And then what's it cost us to house that same person? And so how we're trying to end it is with supportive housing. And what we're trying to do is convert our shelters to not just be shelters, but really be a resource center that can literally prevent and divert people so they never have to spend a night at the shelter. Band-Aid meet corrective surgery. Um, if you're somebody that is sleeping outside and struggling with substance abuse or mental health, um, you, we, we want to house you first and then support you while you're in that housing. Mm -hmm. You know, we took a veteran that had been living outside next to a golf course for 10 years, and we just went right up to his tent and said, here's your key. Oh, Let's wow. come to the house. Um, and so, you know, that's been very innovative for us to be able to say we're taking people right to housing. Now, for a month, he slept on the floor even though he had his own unit um, because he'd been sleeping on the ground for how many years. But after that month, he slowly made his way into the bed. Our development of housing is not for 100% of the people. We are targeting 20, 30, 20 to 30% of our population. It's that chronic homeless group. So mm -hmm. we've looked at, as a business, who are our most expensive customers to us and to the community. Okay. And it used to be the people that were in a lot of the residential institutional hospitals in this country that do not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So we've taken a very business pr pragmatic approach to it. And it doesn't matter if you're a, con, uh, you know, a Republican or a Democrat. A, it makes sense morally, but it makes sense business-wise. 99% of the chronically homeless people Father Bills and Mainspring serve are still in homes after one year, and 93% after three years. Imagine that model across the country. If you could go up to Capitol Hill right now and put a plan on the floor, what would it look like? It would be about um, supportive housing. It yeah. would be about we need one funding source um, that both supports capital, investment, um, operations, and services. We got to see the VA with the, when they got the resources, how they put the resources towards veterans and, and towards um, housing. And uh, we've been able to reduce it at like 50%. For Father Bills in Mainspring tonight, we will shelter over, you know, 250 individuals, and the state will pay for 126 at $30 a day. Mm -hmm. So every bed that, you know, it's costing us $40 to house everybody, and we're putting up over 100 people a night that we have to privately fundraise for. It's hard to invest in outcomes when all you're doing is trying to fundraise just to make sure nobody sleeps outside. You know, I, I remember a veteran, one of the first veterans I housed um, at Sheila McIntyre House in Quincy. It's eight-unit house. And I said, how did, the, how did the house help you? And he said, you know, you gave me my own key. And when I got my own key, I got my own toothbrush rack. I had my own phone. I always had a reason to stay sober. And then I, he was, and then I had an opportunity to get a job. And he actually you know, got employed with the, with the VA and became a, a, an employee there for a long time and then moved into management. You know, Just be able to see how those things, how just giving somebody a key can make a huge difference in their lives. Yeah, I've never thought about it. You take it for granted your whole life having these keys that you that jangle around in your purse or your pocket. And yeah. they really mean opportunity here. In 2001, I got a call from a CEO of another nonprofit um, that um, had a, had that was renting a building that was a teen shelter, and it was the only one on the South Shore. And they weren't bankable at the time, but the owner wanted to sell the house and was going to put it on the market within a week. 
it was a beautiful house. It was on a busy street um, right near South Shore Hospital. And um, so I called Father Bill, and I said, Father, this is the story. They're, you know, they're not bankable. They can't buy it. We only have a week before they put it on the market. What do you think we can do? And he calls, and he uh, schedules a meeting with the CEO of a bank, and then he calls one of what I call his angels, a philanthropist, somebody that, that's a supporter of ours. And Father and I bring them to the house, and they see the kids playing. And Father turns to the donor, and he's like, tells the story, and he's like, I need a down payment. And he turns to the banker and he's like, and we need a loan. And we were able to get the deal done over French fries with the kids. Although Father Bill passed away in 2009, John has no plans to stop his mission. People save people. And that it's been very nice to be able to get up every morning and know that, um, that this organization is doing great work for people. How I Made It is produced by me, Kristen Livingston, for Bentley University. Special thanks to Isabel Bader, Caroline Cruz, Jenna Floster, Molly McKinnon, and Terry Cronin for their help and support. To hear more episodes, visit bentley.edu slash howimadeit. And to share your story of making it, send us a note at howimadeit at bentley.edu. To learn more about Father Bills and Mainspring, go to helpfbms.org. We'll see you next season. Um, you know, for Father Bill, you know, he was very funny. He, um, the first week he went and introduced me to the mayor of Quincy and we drove up and I was driving his car and he goes, pull into the mayor's spot, you know, and I'm like, really? And he's like, oh yeah, he's not here yet. He's late for our appointment. <laughs>